Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. It's good to be back with you once again as we start a new sermon series this month in June at Urban Village, and I'll share more about that in a second. But the passage that we'll be reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. I'll be reading uh, chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, and then I'm going to jump to verses 35 through 38. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. I was in the grocery store a week or two ago and didn't have many things to pick up, but one of the requests from my kids was to buy some powdered lemonade. So this was a fairly big grocery store, and I usually have some idea of where some things are, but powdered lemonade was a mystery to me. So at first I thought I could look at the signs uh, high in the aisles and that that would tell me powdered lemonade, but none of the signs did that. So then I just started guessing and I would think, well, maybe it's over by this area with the juices, for example, or by the sodas or whatever. Still no luck. So finally, as I was walking around, I asked this woman who looked like she was official or worked there if she knew where the powdered lemonade and she kind of stopped and pondered that for a moment and by this point I was a little bit frustrated and I thought oh man this person does not know where the lemonade is and finally she said I'm, I'm sorry and then before I could get too put out by this she said I don't work here I work for Pepsi so she was there on behalf of Pepsi stocking the shelves so I went through more wandering finally I found a store employee and she said Just go down aisle 12, and it's at the very end. You can't miss it. So I start walking down aisle 12, and as I go down aisle 12, I once again pass the woman who was stocking the shelves for Pepsi, and she kindly said, did you find it? And I confidently said, yes, I I know where I'm going now. So I kept walking down the aisle, and as I'm doing so, uh, this kind woman then started asking another person who was stocking shelves, also who didn't work for this particular grocery store, and they start looking too. And part of me thought, well, I don't know why they're looking. I know exactly where I'm going. So I go to the very end of this aisle, and I still, for the life of me, cannot find this lemonade. And so I thought, you've got to be kidding me. And so I was about ready to go back to the people I asked about. And then this, the woman, the Pepsi woman, said, here, I think we found it. So she had recruited this other person to help me look And they walked to me, and then they walked me down exactly where this lemonade was. And I was grateful. 
even though it's silly to think about, I can't find this, and that it was causing me a, a very small modicum of stress, but still, I was being a little uh, annoyed by the whole thing. Finally, finally, I was able to find what I was looking for. I think we've probably all had this experience of walking around, either in the store, a store, or in life in general, looking for something and not knowing where to find it. For those of us who do our best to follow in the way of Jesus, we will confess that we also wander a bit. It's a challenge just to get the whole thing right ourselves. And then when we sometimes talk about helping others follow in this way, well, that makes the challenge even more difficult. It may be just one of the reasons why the word evangelism makes us nervous. Some of us, maybe many of us, have had bad experiences of evangelism or even hearing the word ourselves. We may have images of creepy televangelists or a notion of colonialism that has happened throughout the history of Christianity, or maybe you have a sense of exclusion, meaning evangelism is you've got to do it this way or no way. So from the beginnings of Urban Village, though, we have tried to reclaim this word in practice. And that's at the core of this new sermon series that we are calling Beyond Invitation. And we're thinking about how we can practice radical hospitality and going beyond this pro- going beyond in this process of sharing our faith. So a very quick refresher on what evangelism is. It comes from a Greek word, euangelos. EU in this word means good. Angelos means news, which good news, gospel is often the word that's translated. Good news. Now I know or I think we know that a fair amount of what passes as Christianity these days is not good news. Sadly, more and more people in our society, when they think of Christianity, they think these are people who have no grace, that they go out of their way to point out who's out and who's in, that they ignore the outsider, and in fact, maybe even go so far as to say, stay away from the outsider, which is laughable, as we, see, we will see in a moment as we look at this passage from Matthew a little more closely. Now, before we pile on Christianity, secularism has its own problems, which can lead to materialism or militarism, individualism, any number of isms too. But we believe, I believe, that indeed the gospel is good news. When it's at its best, good news for Christians means many things, that the gospel means an abundance of grace. Certainly, it means love. It means a way to live, not only for our own purposes, but also to dismantle systems that make living harmful for others. And it means a way to live, yes, but it means a way to live not just alone, but with others, too. These things and so many more, I believe, are why the gospel is good news and why it's important for us to share it. When you and I get good news in our lives, we want to tell others about it. We are just finishing up the month of May, and so for those of you who are on social media, you know that you've probably seen pictures of maybe people who are graduating or getting into a season of weddings or people who have children or maybe they get a promotion or whatever it is. And not only personal things too, but we've used the story or the illustration before, whenever we go to a store or a restaurant or even a dentist and we have a really good experience, we want to tell others about it. We want to 
go out of our way to let others know. And I think it's the same if we believe that the gospel, that this faith that we have is indeed good news, then shouldn't we also think about how can we share this with others too and go out of our way to do so? This passage from Matthew shows us one of the most important things to remember about evangelism, that it's not just about inviting or welcoming people in to what we've already got going on. It's about going out to wherever people are, meeting them in their experiences, in their joys, in their struggles, and sharing with them the truth about the kingdom of God in our lives as we learn new things about who God is through them. You know, churches talk a lot about invitation, but so much of what churches do is expecting people to come to us. Understandably, the focus of what many churches are about is what they do on Sunday morning. And so we are, and I'll cop to this as well, religious professionals are constantly haranguing their members to say, invite a friend to come and join us. But again, the emphasis on is it's almost like tell someone and they've got, they've got to come to where we are. But think about that. Think about what we are inviting them into. And what a strange, intimidating experience that is. I say this all the time, but I am so impressed when a person actually comes to worship, especially if they are not invited, especially if they don't know anybody. Because think about all the things that a person has to do before they come to worship, before they come into our turf. They have to, these days anyway, most of our folks come because of an online search and then they have to find the building, walk through the door by themselves. We ask them to put on a name tag. There are lots of strangers there. We are singing. People don't really sing in groups much anymore. We're standing, we're sitting, we're listening. We do communion, which can be an odd experience for somebody new too. It takes a lot. And we put quite a burden on others when we say, we want you to come to us. And what we want to do is to go beyond that. And let's take a look and see how Jesus models this. So let's start off and just look at this first verse. Matthew 9, 9 says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And the first few words of verse 10 are, and as Jesus sat. Now let's break this one verse down. It starts off by saying, as Jesus was walking along. Now, presumably, it would have been easy for Jesus to just sit in a house once he had built his reputation. People had started to hear about this Jesus, the things that he was saying. This is not long after what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he had done some healing And so it would have been easy for Jesus to sit in one place and have all these folks who are seeking healing come to him. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't just sit in one place and say, all right, everybody, now I want you to come to me and then I will do marvelous things, amazing things for you. Jesus didn't do that. He never settled. He kept moving among the people, reaching out to where they were and to new people. Jesus brings this good news, this gospel, Jesus brings it to them. And that when it happens to us, when we experience this out of nowhere, out of a place where we don't expect perhaps to see good news happening, 
it takes us aback. I was, a few weeks ago, I was walking around. I was up on the north side of the city. I had a meeting with somebody. And then I was going to go and watch my son play volleyball. But I had about an hour or two in between my meeting and the volleyball game. So I was walking around. And you have those 3, 4 p.m. little hunger pangs. And I wondered, I was kind of thinking, what am I in the mood for? Something kind of sweet, but I didn't want something too terribly heavy. And I was walking along. And I swear to you, out of nowhere, this was near a park, and there was a crepe stand. A crepe stand just came, it's, it's a, it popped up out of nowhere. And I couldn't believe it. It wasn't part of a store. It was just this little stand that sells crepes in the summer. And what a delightful surprise to have exactly what I was wanting. And I wasn't expecting it. It just kind of popped up. What an amazing thing that happens when we experience something like a crepe stand, but even better. And it takes us by surprise. And it's what we desire. And this is what Jesus is wanting to do, to go to where the people are in their daily lives. So now Jesus approaches, he's walking around and he approaches Matthew. And the text tells us that Matthew is sitting at the tax booth. So we now know that Matthew is a tax collector. For those of you who don't know, tax collectors were not looked upon kindly at all by people in Jesus' days. There were, among other, there were two things that people assumed about tax collectors. One is that they were in cahoots with the Romans, with the Roman Empire, and people distrusted, were fearful of had no great love for the Roman Empire. So tax collectors were uh, in partnership with the empire. So already they are untrustworthy. And often what tax collectors would do is they would skim a little of uh, off the top for themselves. So the Romans would tell the tax collectors, we want you to charge X amount of taxes. So these collectors would go around and collect taxes from citizens, but then the tax collectors would add on a surcharge of sorts, and then they would pocket that for themselves. So it's understandable why people would not be trusting of tax collectors. And not only that, but it says here that Matthew is sitting at this tax booth. And sitting, some scholars believe that this is also connoting a sense of judgment. So not only is the tax collector sitting there taking money from others, he's kind of doing it smugly. He's judging others as they are walking by. And here is Jesus going to the tax table, approaching Jesus, going to the place in the community most hated by his friends and followers because of the exploitation that was going on. Jesus is approaching this person, and then he goes to dinner. And then he, perhaps in Matthew's own home to meet more tax collectors. And then, yes, Jesus says to follow him, but Jesus doesn't just gain a disciple. There's another little thing that's going on here that was just kind of opened my eyes to this this week. Our side pastor, Hannah Carden in Wicker Park, kind of pointed this out. Not only did Jesus have Matthew leave his tax booth to go and have dinner with him, but in doing so, Jesus begins to disrupt an oppressive system. Jesus or Matthew leaves his tax booth, which means Matthew is not there to collect taxes anymore. He's leaving this tax table with nobody there. Nobody is there to exploit folks anymore. It's a really remarkable thing that Jesus is doing here because he goes out into the community and brings the good news, the gospel, to people that 
no one would have thought possible. No one would have gone to a tax collector. And then personally, person there sitting in judgment. And then Jesus turns the tables as he always does. And he goes to somebody's house and then Jesus sits with them. So sitting also takes on a whole kind of different meaning. This is our model, friends, of somebody who could have rested on his laurels, but instead kept going out to bring the gospel to them rather than just saying, come to me. I'm just going to sit here. Jesus went out and walked around. You know, we do this at Urban Village too. We often, and I'm not saying it's bad to invite people to things at all. I mean, I don't want you to listen to this podcast and think, well, the pastor says I shouldn't invite anybody to church. <laughs> Certainly we want you to do that, but we don't want you to only do that. We do this a lot. We have different activities that go on at Urban Village and we will say, invite people to this, invite people to that other thing. But what are we doing to follow Jesus' example so that we're going beyond saying, come to church, but instead we are being the church that wherever we are, whoever we are interacting with, we are the good news so that someone might be taken aback, so that someone might be surprised, so that someone might be intrigued by this invitation that we are living out rather than just saying, please come with me to this thing that we have going on. It takes a lot of courage to do so. But I think it's, if, we're, if we're thinking seriously about following in the way of Jesus, then we're looking at the way Jesus lived and how he invited others and lived this gospel. One of the things I think that helps us a little bit at Urban Village is the fact that we don't have a building. I've served in churches that had buildings, and it is that, that building is like a magnet. And it is easy just to think we are just going to simply invite people to us. So one of the things, one of the advantages of not having a building is that it forces us to go out into the community and meet with folks. And in the first few months of Urban Village's existence, uh, we were reaching out to different folks, inviting them for coffee. And sometimes we were um, sending emails to people we didn't know at all. We may have like one or two small things in common, but there was kind of a shot in the dark. We And I email people and say, you don't know me. I'm, I'm new to the Chicago. I'm new to living in the city. I'm trying to connect with folks who either something I have in common with them or they're a leader in the community and I'm inviting them to coffee. I said, I'm not going to try to convert you or anything. I'm just curious about the city and what it's like to, to live here. So I sent out many of these invitations and I would say a majority of people either didn't respond or said they weren't interested but some did. And so they were really fascinating conversations. And I had one memorable conversation. And this was with, for those of you who've read my book, I write about this in my book, is with a person named Phoenician. Phoenician's parents are Chinese. And Phoenician grew up in the, in the States, grew up in Chicago, but his parents are Chinese. And so he and I are members of the same fraternity. So that's how I got his information. So I'd sent out again, I didn't know him. I sent out this invitation, this email to him. And so we agreed to meet at the Barnes and Noble, for those who know Chicago, kind of on the corner of Jackson and State. So in kind of in the loop in the heart of the city. So there's a Starbucks as part of that Barnes and Noble and all the tables were filled. So we were trying to figure out where we were going to sit down. So we go back in the stacks and we find these little chairs back in the stacks of these books. So we sit there. 
And so I'm asking questions about his life. So he's, he's more curious than most about this new church that we are thinking about starting. And I don't know what it was. It was the end of the day or something like that. He's asking really good questions. And I was doing really a pretty poor job of sharing the gospel. He was asking about the church. And I said, well, you know, we just we want it to be a place for all people. And I said, you know, we just want it to be a place where people know that God loves them. So this very simple theological statement. And Phoenician had been talking about his own upbringing in the church. And I, I said that. And I looked up at Phoenician and tears started coming down his, his face. And I couldn't believe it. And he talked about how in his own life, that that was a, a word that he wanted to hear. And sometimes he didn't experience it or hear it enough. So we're sitting there in the stacks on these little chairs in this bookstore. And it reminded me once again, the gospel is really powerful. Even for those of us who say, I don't know what to say or how to convey it. A very simple statement like that can make a huge difference. And that didn't happen in a church. It didn't happen in some sort of holy space. Instead, it happened where people lived their lives. And I think that experience was surprising for both Phoenician and myself. It was grace. And that, I think, is what we are called to do as followers of Jesus. We can... I know, it's a, I know it's a hard thing to do sometimes. It's a challenge to claim that uh, mantle, to claim that name of being a Christian. But when we can go that extra step, like those women did for me in the aisle of that grocery store, doing all they could to put me in front of what I was looking for, if we can do that too, I think others will know that this is truly good news Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. There are so many people out there, friends, who want to experience this truly good news of grace and love and transformation. The laborers are few. There aren't many people who actually live this out. They, be, they become the gospel in their lives. My challenge to myself and to all of us is to do that, to live this out so that others can find exactly what they are looking for. Amen. Friends, thank you once again for listening to this podcast. You can always reach out to me, Christian at urbanvillagechurch.org or on my website, christiancoon.com and reach out to me there. I will be back next week our second sermon in this series Uh, about uh, going beyond invitation. And so until then, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you.